0: While you get your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and Hebrews chapter 11, Luke chapter 19, Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, I began a new series that I called New Norm. (laughs) New Norm. And, and, you know, they say that passion and calling, uh, purpose, many times is found in the tension between what makes you tick and what ticks you off. (laughs) And I found that to be very true in my life. And and so as we approach this season of the church in the fall, people tend to get back in from vacation and kids go back to school and, and people get re-engaged in church. And many people stay engaged, but some people are out traveling and it's, they miss some services, some weekends, those type of things. But but as we move towards the fall, I felt like God really just spoke to me this one word, deeper, deeper. And, and I just felt like maybe we need to establish a new norm. You know, maybe, maybe we need to establish a new norm. We, we live in a day where five to seven percent of believers give a tithe to the Lord, something Jesus said we should do. We, we live in a day where the average church attender attends church one to two times per month. We live in a day where 19 percent of people read their Bible every day. 19 percent of believers, 26 percent read it occasionally throughout the week. And so we live in a day where status quo American Christianity, I'm not sure, is getting us exactly where really we want to go. And so, what I love about our church is I could I would not preach this series in a lot of churches. Um, churches where people get offended if the coffee's not right or the coffee's not hot. The free coffee, by the way, and and so. I wouldn't preach this everywhere, but I would preach it here because I believe there's people here that are more concerned about how loud it is, what song we sung. You know, I, I, I hate to say it, but so many times the more mature believers get, the more preferential we get in our thinking. And it's like, well, I want a church that meets all of my needs. And I'm like, oh, bless you. Um, maybe it's not about you. I don't mean to be offensive, but let me offend you. Um, You know, in our house, when we brought a baby home, his name was Luke, it was amazing how everything in the house that had been about Julie and I all of a sudden was about Luke. And, I mean, we we no longer watched, you know, movies that I wanted to watch. We watched Elmo. (laughs) And it really wasn't about the preferences as much of Julie and I anymore. And the church kind of seems to miss that. We think, well, I've been here longer and I want this thing and that program and I want to sit in that seat and I want this music and when are we going to sing this hymn? I don't know when we're going to sing this hymn. You know, it's just... And so I think sometimes as believers, the normal gets shifted a little bit and we need to shift it back to New Testament, early church, Christianity to to where people were just passionately in love with Jesus they were taking persecution and they were okay with it. Everything wasn't working out exactly the way they wanted it to work out. And yet they just kept pursuing Jesus with all of their heart and all their soul. And he became the priority of their life and he became what they were passionate about. And he became what really was the filter for how they even lived their life and how they made decisions and how they spent their money and how they spent their time and, and what activities they were and weren't involved in. And I, and to me, it's like, if we're going deeper and we really want to see what God wants to do in and through us and in and through this church, we may have to establish a new normal because the old normal isn't working. And so um, last week we kicked this off and I'd love for you to listen to the podcast from last week because last week uh, we talked about being eternally minded. If you remember this, in fact, I brought my rope back with me. If you were here last week, I brought, I brought this rope and um, there it is. So I brought this rope, and what I said was, "This rope, and we're going to we're just going to pretend. You can use your imagination, right? We're going to pretend that this rope is a timeline of your existence, and we're just going to pretend that it, it doesn't end at the end of the platform, but it just goes around and around and around the world because it is infinite. Okay, eternity. How long is eternity? Forever, right? And so here's what he said last week is what Paul was talking to us about. He said, "Hey, set your affections not on this world, but on eternity." And then he said, set your mind not on this world, but eternity. In other words, I shouldn't really be focused on this world. I should be focused on eternity. I shouldn't set my, you can actually aim your passion. You know, that sin most of the time is is passion that's been aimed in the wrong direction, right? And so you can actually aim your affection and aim your passion. And what he said is, I should aim my passion not at this world, but of the world to come. And so if this is a timeline of your existence and it is eternal and infinite and goes on forever, um, this little three inches of red is your time on earth. Right. Right. And what Paul said is, don't aim your attention and your affection. Don't set your mind on this little time you're on earth because look at that in comparison to eternity. He was saying, hey, here, here's what normal believers do. They set their minds and their hearts Right? And we live in a culture it's like, man, if you can afford a bigger house, you should get one. If you can afford a boat, you should get one. If if you can if you can move to this and do this thing and you should get it because it matters, and you're like No, no, it doesn't matter in here doesn't mean that much. Matter in here means a lot. In fact, Paul said this that an enemy of the cross is a person who thinks about this little red section more than they think about all of this white section. That's actually an enemy of the cross, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Have you ever thought about that? He's saying an enemy of the cross is a person that's just so wrapped up in what's going on on this earth. They're living, they're making decisions, they're doing everything for this little red section, and they forget we're going to be eternal somewhere. And so that's where we talked last week, and I kind of want to continue that that kind of line of thinking, and my title's probably going to make people nervous, so I won't tell you just exactly yet, but if you're in Luke chapter 19... (laughs) There are no cuss words. I just want to say that in my title. But. Luke chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus tells a parable about what heaven is going to be like. And um, I, I've found that, unfortunately, a lot of times in church, we don't, we don't talk a lot about heaven. We don't think a lot about heaven. Um, and, and I understand that it's over there somewhere. But to me, a normal believer thinks a lot about eternity. And that's what we were talking about last week. But uh, Luke chapter 19, um, it says this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because uh, he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. In other words, they thought, we're about to see heaven. right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. They're like, we're about to see heaven. Jesus is about to take over. Here we go. New world order. Right? And so he said, I've got to let them know it's not going to happen exactly like that. So verse 12, he said, a a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. And so that's actually Jesus talking about himself. In other words, he said, I'm come here to be king, and then I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to come back. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. A mine is a year's wage, or three years wage, whichever it is. It's a lot. He said, put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. And so it's kind of interesting because he covers everybody on earth in this parable. So there's there's the the servants that he he gives minus to, and those are believers. And then there are the people who say, we don't want this man to be our king. Those are unbelievers, right? So he's he's covering covering both. And, And then verse 15, he says, He was made king, however, and returned home, and then he sent when he came back, so he returned. That's the second coming of Christ, which is actually a fact. It will actually happen. He sent for the servants to whom he gave the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mind has earned 10 more. And he said, Well done, good. Some versions say, Good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Watch this. Now take charge of 10 cities. Now, if Jesus is telling a parable, so we'll understand the kingdom of God and what heaven is going to be like, and he says, take charge over 10 cities, do you think he's trying to explain that in heaven, we don't just stand around the throne and sing for all eternity? Because yes. yes. yeah, exactly. I've heard some people, like, this is just choir practice, because when we get to heaven, brother, we're just going to sing forever. Nope. And I'm like, what if I get next? there, somebody can't sing then heaven is starting to sound like hell, at least to me. And I don't know that I can sing that long. I mean, maybe I can, but I love Jesus and I love music, but eternity is a long time to hold a note. You know what I'm saying? So, and so I just want to make this point that heaven is actually a society. The Bible says we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for all eternity. It doesn't say we're going to sing to him for all eternity. Yes, I think we will worship him. I think that will be the reaction when we first see our Savior face to face. I think we will prostrate before him and God. But we're not going to sing forever. It's a society, right? We're going to rule and reign with Jesus forever. And so he says, take take charge over ten cities. And then the second came and said, sir, your mind has earned five more. And his master answered, you take charge of five cities. Did you notice that he didn't say, well done? Well, I guess Jesus just forgot that part. Isn't that interesting? Like, hey, you got 10? Well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, you got five. Maybe this is about three stewards and, and three servants. The first one lived his life to the fullest potential. The second one did some good things, and the third one did nothing with their life. I mean, you digest it how you want to, but that's how I would. And then, and then verse twenty. Then another servant came and said, "Sir, here is your mine. I kept it laid away in a in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man, and you take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow." And his master replied, "I will judge." His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You, you knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I do not put in and reaping what I do not sow. Why then didn't you take my money and at least deposit it in a bank so I, when I came back you could have collected some interest with it? Verse 24, then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one that has ten. You think stewardship doesn't matter to Jesus? You take it. He was a bad steward. Take it away from him. Give it to the good steward. A lot I could say there. Anyways. Um, Sir, they said, he already has 10. And he replied, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But as the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. And then verse 27. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And so it talks about, here's what it talks about. Here's heaven. Here's the believers and the unbelievers. And when we stand in heaven, here's what happens to the believers. They're rewarded based on what they did. And here's what happened to the unbelievers. They enter into eternal death. I mean, it's it's about heaven, right? And if he's talking about heaven, I know we think, well, heaven doesn't matter today because I haven't died yet. But what if actually what I do now determines what happens then? then this time would be very important for all eternity. And since God's a steward, I don't think he would give us time here that didn't matter or mean anything. So let me just give you two ideas from this passage. The first one is this. God has given you something. right? God has given, if you're a believer, in fact, if you're not a believer, God has still given you something because God is actually a just God. He's given you something. Luke 19, verse 13, it says, so he called 10 of his servants. Why 10? Ten? 10 could mean two things. 10 means uh, a, a whole or it also means testing, right? That's why I said bring the whole tithe. What's tithe? 10%, right? What, what is a whole? 10%, right? What, what does 10 mean? It's a test, Right? Why is God testing you here? He tests you here to see what he can give you there. See, no one tells you that tithing today will matter for all eternity. Because God's validating your stewardship here to determine what he can give you there. And he said if I can't trust you with unrighteous mammon, let me say another way, if I can't trust you with with money, then how could I trust you with what's really valuable? It's just a thought. Could change your life. And so he's given us something. God's not, not a respecter of persons, meaning he's just, he loves us all the same. And God has given us all something. God has given you something. And, and I hope that you understand this. And you may look in the mirror and think, I don't have anything. But you do have something. You have an ability. You have a gift. You have a talent. You, you have an opportunity. Maybe you have an opportunity that no one else will ever have. Maybe you have an influence that no one will ever have. But trust me, when God says he gives he gave each of them a minor. It's kind of like the parable of the talents. He gave one, this, you know, one, 10 talents, one, five, one, one. He gave them all, ta- he gave, everybody has something. And the reason I love the talents because he gives some 10, some five, ten, some one. In other words, I'm going to be, I'm going to be rewarded or I'm going to be judged based on what he gave me, not what he gave you. Yeah, See, I like that because I don't want to have to stand, I don't want to have to stand beside Mother Teresa. Because she had a grace on her life I don't think I have. And I don't want to be judged based on the grace on her life. Right? I don't have to stand beside Bishop Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I don't have to do that. Right? He's just going to look at what he gave me. And here's what I'm telling you. He gave me something and he gave you something. And when we stand before him, he's going to evaluate what we did with what we were given. He's going to look at what did he put in your hands? What did he entrust you with? What types of abilities or or talents or giftings? This is why we do first step. We do first step try to help you determine what God put in your hands. How did he gift you? How did he design you? What are you created for? That's so why don't we do dream teams, get you plugged in and serving in your area of giftedness. Why don't we do life groups, because when I get in a group, I find out more about me, and I find I have another opportunity to serve others and to grow with others. And so it, it really, it matters, because here's why. God actually expects a return on his investment, and he has invested in you. Right? Look, look at what he says, Luke 19, 15, he said, he was made king, however, he returned. Then he sent for the servants who he had given money. What's this? In order to find out what they had gained with it. God has made an investment in you. And when you step into eternity, he's going to be looking for his return on the investment that he made in you. Because God, at his heart, is a steward. He doesn't want anything wasted. Right? He doesn't expect us, kind of like with the talents, he doesn't expect us to produce the same. He expects us to produce our best. Right? Your best may be more than my best. That's why we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. Right? We're not going to produce the same. He just wants us to produce our best. So, so God, God has, has given you something. Here's the second thing. God will reward you according to what you do with what he gave you. Like this is the truth of the Bible and churches don't talk a lot about this because, and I love grace and we kind of talked about this and I'll hit grace here in just a minute. I love grace, right? We're saved by grace. God, but, but here's the truth of it. God will reward us in heaven in eternity. We will be rewarded based on what we did with what God put in our hands. That that is the reality. And you say, What doesn't matter as long as we're in heaven? Listen, it means nothing now, it will mean everything then. The idea that what matters as long as I'm in heaven is a very earthly, fleshly mindset. Because it, it will be the only thing that matters for all eternity is how faithful you were with what God put in your hands. Last week we talked about what I do now determines where I spend eternity. That's my faith in Jesus. Last week we said, what I do now in this little red section determines how I spend eternity. And then it says, what I do now, this is point number three, what I do now determines who will spend eternity with me. That's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel. See, let me, let me just be, be clear. It says, we'll be rewarded. Look at Luke 19, we read it, verse 16, it says, the first came and said, Sir, your mind are earned 10 more. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've been trustworthy in something very small, then take charge of 10 cities. Do you see that? Take, take charge. In other words, you're being rewarded. Why are you being rewarded? Because I put something in your hands and you were faithful with it on this earth. And because you were faithful on this earth, now I'm going to reward you eternally. And I'm going to put you in charge of something eternally. D- do you see that? I know everyone's in shock because it's like, what is this message? Where's the warm tingly? I don't have any goose pimples. <laughs> okay, here's the truth. Let me help you. <clears throat> Here, here's the truth. Um, you're saved by grace alone. So let's be very clear on that. You're saved by grace alone. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is not by what you do. It's who you believe in. Right? Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you have been saved. How did I get saved by grace? Through faith. I believed. It's the only thing I did to get saved. I believed that Jesus is the Christ. Right? It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. But it's not of yourself. You have nothing to do with it. It's a gift of God. That's a gift that we receive, not something we achieve. Right? So that no one can boast. So, so so salvation comes by Jesus, by his grace. I believe in him, right? I can't be more saved or less saved based on what I do. My behavior cannot save me. What I do cannot save me. The work that I do cannot save me. Nothing can save me but the grace of Jesus and my faith in believing that he is who he says he is. It's the only thing that saves me. Are we very clear on that. It is the only thing that saves me. My behavior cannot save me. My good works cannot save me. My church attendance can't save me. My tithe cannot save me. My life group leading cannot save me. My dream team serving cannot save me. Giving to the poor cannot save me. Nothing can save me except the grace of Jesus and my faith in him. And then I am saved. I cannot be more saved and I cannot be less saved. If my behavior cannot save me, my behavior cannot sentence me. I am hidden with God in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit because of the grace of Jesus. And that's it. That's the gospel. It's that simple. I went to church with a lot of people that tried to make it very complicated, but it is that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. That simple. All right? So, so I am saved by grace alone. Are we clear? Yes. But here's the second part. What I do with his grace matters. Yes. I am saved by grace alone. But what I do with that grace actually matters. Right? We, I told you Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace we're saved through faith. Right? I'm saved by grace alone. But verse 10, it's the next verse. Verse 10, you are saved for works. I'm not saved by works, but I am saved for works. God has work. That's what he told these, he told these servants. He said, take this mina and do business till I come. Work till I come. That's what Jesus said. Work while it's day because the night comes when no man can work. There's going to be a time where we cease working for him and enter into eternity. So, I'm not saved by works, but I am saved for works. Right? And, and my works actually matter. What I do actually matters. See, um, God will actually reward me according to my works. Now, think about it. He's a just God. Let me read you a couple of scriptures so that you know it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 3 8. It says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. In other words, if we're invested, this is talking about Paul and Apollos. And, you know, Paul's saying, hey, I planted and Apollos water. In other words, I sowed the seed of salvation and he did some discipleship. And he said, it both it both is working the, the goodness of God in your lives. But he says, watch this, both will be rewarded for their own work. Um. <clears throat> You'll be rewarded for what work you did with the grace of Jesus. Right? You won't be rewarded for what your spouse did, what your mother did, what your grandmother did. You'll be rewarded based on what you did. With, with let me give you another scripture. This is the words of Jesus. I consider him an authority on theology. Amen. Matthew 16:27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Does it sound like the second coming to you? Watch this, and then He will reward each according to his works. Let me ask you a question: Are you in each? Yes. Then you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded according to what you did after the grace of Jesus. You'll be re- after the cross, right? It's what I do with the cross that determines where I spend eternity. It's what I do after the cross that determines how I spend eternity. And you'll be rewarded according to your works. Listen, what you do matters. I think sometimes believers in our minds, it's like, well, once I pray the prayer, does it really matter what I do? Like, does going to church matters, leading a life group, being in a life group, giving to missions, feeding the poor? Right? Clothing. Does that really matter? I mean, I got my ticket punched. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch the greyhound to heaven. Isn't that all we're trying to do is just not, not go to hell and go to heaven? No. Uh-uh. No. Here's what I'm saying is that, that what you do on this earth matters. How you behave matters. How, if you witness it matters. What you give Matters how you serve matters. Think about it. God is a just God. So let me give you an analogy. Let's say there's this guy right here, and this guy accepts Jesus and he has truly a, a salvation experience. He is saved by grace through faith. He is saved, right? And let's look at his life. He goes to work, he goes to church, I don't know, one or two times a month, doesn't really give, doesn't really tithe, doesn't really serve, occasionally tries to read his Bible, you know, and then he goes to heaven, right? And right next to him is this other guy. This guy received the grace of Jesus, fell passionately in love with him, told everyone he could about his faith in Jesus, led people to Jesus, went on mission trips, did outreach, served on a dream team, led a life group, invested into other people. And that's how he spent. Let me ask you a question. When they stand before Jesus, if God is just, can he reward them the same? No, he can't. He wouldn't be just if he gave them the same reward. Are they both in heaven? Yes, they're in heaven. Why? Because we're saved by grace. Right? They're both in heaven. But if he is truly just, he cannot reward them the same. That's a misconception that every believer gets the same reward in heaven. No, no, no. You get the reward in heaven that you worked for on this earth. That's why your life matters forever. Right? So believers and unbelievers are rewarded or judged based on what they do in that little red section, right? By the way, it's the same way for unbelievers, right? It's the same way for them. Uh, Watch this, for believers, 1 Corinthians 3.14, it says, The work that anyone has built on the foundation of Jesus, if his work survives. In other words, God's going to test the work that we do. You didn't know work was in the Bible so many times, right? The work... That we do. God will test when we stand before him and it's on the foundation of Jesus. And he says, if anyone has built on the foundation, if what he's built survives, in other words, this is what he invested in eternity, he will receive a reward. But if another one's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he'll be saved as one through fire. In other words, they're both going to get in heaven, but one of them is going to be rewarded because what he did in that red section mattered eternally. And the other one, what he did in that red section only mattered in that red section. right? You know, what's amazing to me, honestly, is that you never hear this message in church because we're telling everybody they're good enough and they're smart enough. Gosh, darn it. Jesus loves you. And he does. That's like half the gospel, right? Yes. Jesus loves you. And yes, Jesus saved you. And here's the other half. He saved you to do something. Right, he saved you. Like I, I, love blessed assurance, but sometimes you got to get off your blessed assurance and do something for Jesus. <laughs> See, um, for unbelievers, by the way, unbelievers the same thing. They're not judged the same. They're not judged the same. Uh, watch this Revelation twenty twelve. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. As, the, as recorded in the books, they were judged. Think about this. Let's just say over here, there's, a, there's this guy, he's an atheist, but really he's a pretty moral guy. And he loves his wife and loves his kids. And, you know, he even gave some money to St. Jude's hospital. Right. And, and he, he lives a pretty good life. I mean, he, he works hard and loves his family. Right. Do you really think that he's going to be punished, but he doesn't know Jesus never accepts Christ? Well, what happens if you don't accept Christ? Well, you go into eternal death, but there are, there are levels of hell because that guy's not going to be in the same level as Adolf Hitler, right? Right? It's still hell and that's still bad and that's all eternity, but it's not the same as the torment that Adolf Hitler, Hitler will get because God wouldn't be just if they got the same. You understand what I'm saying? So it really matters. Here's why it matters, because your work, what you do, impacts others. See, God rewards us for work because our works matter eternally as we seek to build his kingdom and impact the lives of others. Let me give you some scriptures. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It matters what we do because the work that we do here impacts other people to have faith in Jesus to come to faith in him, right? You should live in such a way that people actually want to know what you have. But first you have to live in such a way that your life looks different than theirs. (laughs) We may have an empty church next week, but I will stand before God knowing I told you the truth. Right. Right? And, you know, guys. To be honest? People want to be challenged, and people are tired of, yeah, 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 Christianity. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways, three of you are. Praise God. It would be me and three people next week. Um, <laughs> Mark ten twenty one says, looking at, at the man Jesus felt, genuine love, and he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. This is the rich young ruler. Said, and he told him, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Watch this. Give your money to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Watch this. Impact on this earth equals reward in heaven. How am I going to have treasure in heaven? Give your money to the poor. In other words, steward your money the way God wants you to steward your money here. And it stores up. You, you know, Jesus said, lay up for yourself, not treasure on the earth where you lose it but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. I think we miss what he said because we think he said lay up for Jesus treasure in heaven. No, he said lay up for yourself. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Apparently we're going to want treasure in heaven more than we want treasure here. And Jesus has said there's a way you steward what you have here so that you have treasure there. And you're going to want to have it there. And I think people think, no, we're going to sit around with Jesus and we're just going to throw our crowns at his feet. No, it's the 24 elders that do that. That's not us. Yeah. Right? We're the ones ruling and reigning with him. And we might be using our treasure to rule and reign. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Shoes, so heavy so heavy, preacher. (laughs) It'd be heavier if you got there and hadn't ever heard it here. (laughs) See, what we do here, the works that we do here impact others. I mean, this is Matthew 25. It says, just giving a glass of water in the name of Jesus can impact someone eternally. Clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting those in prison, Jesus said, because you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. You've impacted people for eternity, and now they're going to go into eternal righteousness instead of eternal torment. I think this this has been blowing my mind the last two weeks, so I'm going to give you what's blowing my mind. God loves this world so much that he wants everyone to be saved. Can we agree on that? He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, he wants everybody saved. Do you understand the only plan he has for saving everyone is us? Like God's betting on us. Yes. Like that'll change the way you think. God is betting the eternity of people He loves on you. Yes That blows my mind. Like God loves these people so much, he sent Jesus to be tortured and to die for them. He loves them so much, and he's paid so that they can be saved. And his only plan of bringing them to salvation is us. And we're worried about, is there going to be free coffee at the church? Because I just can't wake up without the free coffee. (laughs) What's the temperature going to be? Because if it's a little cold, I'm uncomfortable. It's too hot, I'm uncomfortable. I think the music was four decibels too loud. There's a baby crying in the back. It's raining. I can't go serve Jesus today. It's raining. Surely Jesus wouldn't expect us to get out in the rain. (laughs) One of our staff people watched uh, one of the services recently is a downpour in one of the services. And a mother's bringing three babies in. I'm like, all right there's legit. Because <laughs> I was thinking about staying home myself. But she, <laughs> anyways. All right. here's, the, here's the truth of it. Here's the thing I think sometimes we miss. That God's a rewarder. That's why I, that's, God invented the reward system. Yes. Do you know why God invented the reward system? Because by nature, because of his justice, he's a rewarder. It's actually who he is. He lives to reward those he loves. Let me, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Matthew 6, verse 3, it says, but when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The older I get, the easier that is. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Don't be looking at me like that. <laughs> so that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret Will himself. Watch this. Will himself. Do you see that? Will himself reward you openly. By the way, he says it two more times in the same chapter because he says, when you pray, don't pray in front of everybody. Go in a closet and pray in your father who sees you in secret. Will himself reward you openly. Then verse 18, when you fast, don't put on sackcloth and ashes and look all silly. But don't let anybody know you're fasting and your father who sees what's done in secret will himself. The first meeting I have with the father, I want him to get to reward me for something I did. And you say, that sounds selfish. I'll get to that. He's a rewarder. He comes to Abraham and he says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Hebrews 11, verse six, but without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe what's this must believe that he is, but there's another half to faith that we don't talk about. This shows me two parts of faith. Like if I really believe in God, I believe he is, but if I really have faith in God, I believe that he's a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. See, sometimes we're missing half of faith. Faith is, I believe he is. But total faith is, I believe he's a rewarder. I believe in who he is. I believe he is and I believe in who he is. See, I think reward is central to our function in the kingdom because we've been saved for good works and God rewards good works. He's a rewarder. I believe reward is half of the subject of faith. We believe in God and then we believe that he is a rewarder. What we do, we do because we believe God responds with a reward. That's part of faith. Galatians 6, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. It would be mockery to believe that I could do something in faith towards God and not be rewarded for it. I would be mocking God to think that on this earth I could live and do and work in faith and God not take note and not reward me for it in the life to come. That's right. It's really good. I would be mocking him. Why? Because he's a rewarder. And those who have faith in him believe he is and believe that he also rewards. Now let me. I called this message, I waited till now to tell you. I called this message live for the reward. And I waited now to tell you because if I'd told that in the very beginning, you'd have turned me off because you'd said how selfish and egotistical. But as I was studying, I came across this scripture because I would actually. Here's the argument I heard to the message Well, I don't serve Jesus because I want a reward. I serve him because I love him. <laughs> now, here's the thing I don't disagree with that. Like, I think you should serve Jesus not for the reward, but because you love him. It just doesn't change the fact that you're rewarded for what you do. Right? And and so I found this scripture that helped me because do you remember out of the twelve disciples, there was this one named John? And John, in his writing, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? He was all about the love. In fact, I mean, in I mean, they would he, he couldn't get past the love of Jesus. If you remember. He's the one that at the Last Supper, he's laying his head on Jesus' chest. He's the only one Jesus said, oh, by the way, it's Judas, (laughs) which I don't think shocked any of them. (laughs) I don't think it did. I think they kind of knew, right? I don't think Judas was that good about hiding his true motives. I don't think it shocked him. But anyways, John's the only one Jesus said, hey, it's Judas. By the way, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's, he's got to find somebody to take care of mama because Joseph passed away. He said, hey, John, by the way, do you know the only disciple who was at the cross? Yeah, John. 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 So you want to talk about somebody that understands what it is to be passionately in love with Jesus and to know that you're passionately loved by Jesus? It's John. Here's what John said. Second John, verse eight. Watch out that you don't lose what we've worked so hard to achieve Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. It's a man that can preach to you more about loving Jesus than anybody else, but here's what he said. I love Jesus so much, and I know how much Jesus wants to reward us for what we've done. I don't want him to miss an opportunity to reward me in full. I know God's a rewarder, and I love him so much. I'm going to give everything I can I'm going to live all out for Jesus. And then when I step in there, I'm going to have the joy of knowing he has joy of rewarding us the full reward. By the way, if there's a full reward, there's a partial reward and there's a no reward. There you go. We're back to the 10 minus. Yes, we are. Right? You get, I produce 10. Hey, great. I produce five. Hey, great. I produce none. A full reward a partial reward, and a no reward. And here's the thing. When I stand before Jesus, if I get a full reward, it means that I did everything I could in this red section for him. And if I love him, that's the way I want to live. I want to do everything I can in this red section for him. And that's what the reward means that I live my life to the fullest potential for him. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your life matters. This is, again, a message of eternal significance. And the significance is your life is eternally significant. Your life, what you do today, actually matters. What you do tomorrow actually matters. And it matters forever And it matters to you and it matters to others. It matters forever because if you're you're doing the works that God has called you to, it is impacting other people. And so now my life matters to me and now my life matters to everybody around me. People are gonna see my good works and glorify. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Regardless of how you walked into this service, listen to me. God has given you something. He has entrusted to you something. What is it? What's your, what's your gift? Like for me, my gift is I can talk. It's not a lot. But I'm trying to use it the best that I can. Right? I've always known that I could talk. And I'm very obstinate. And my mom always said, be a preacher or an attorney and argue your case in whichever court matters. And you know what I do every weekend? I argue my case. And you know what my case is this week? God has put something in you that matters, that you can use to impact eternity. And it may be a gift, and it may be a talent, and it may be a calling, it may be an opportunity, it could be your influence, but God's put something, He's put some grace on your life that matters forever to somebody, including you. And He wants you to use it so that when you stand before Him, He gets to reward you for what you did with what He put in your hands matters that's good i'm gonna leave it right there why don't you stand sometimes you got no one to hold them no one to fold them no one to walk away that's right i just want you to i want all of our church to understand listen we're not playing a little game of life with a dog and some kids in a church and a school and a work That's not even what we're doing, man. What what I'm trying to get you to understand is that for all of us, God has given this beautiful thing. It's this three little inches of red section. And that's a gift. That is a gift. Do you know why? Because whatever I do with that determines what's going to be for all eternity. Like God's given me this little gift and said, use this wisely. Steward this wisely. Find out what your purpose is. Find out what your calling is. Find out what your gifts are and put them to work in my kingdom. Use this wisely. Because when you stand before Jesus, whatever you did right here will determine how you live all eternity.